It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best. Guys Guys Radio, this is the place where we bring out guests and have stories for you about their journeys, about their learning, about their teachings, about the things they've picked up along the way that kind of help us look beyond that fence in our backyard and say, what else is out there? We're going to try to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and hopefully act. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here for you. Two guests today on Guys, Guys Radio. Let me start out with a question. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to have a career in Hollywood as a voiceover actor and specialize in animated series and cartoons? Well, our first guest, his name is Rob Paulson, and he is one of the most well-known, iconic cartoon character voiceover actors of all time. He's been featured in such series as Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, and he is hilarious. So we're going to be speaking with him. And the other thing he does is he is the national spokesperson for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. And it's an important topic because a lot of times people, and guys in particular, sometimes don't pay attention to stuff growing on their body. And before you know it, you've got a real problem on your hands. So Rob's going to talk to us about that. The other question I have for you is, have you ever considered launching your own business? Well, the answer is probably yes. Well, if that's the case, I've got a great guest for you today. His uh, name is Riz Verk. He's got a book called Startup Myths and Models, What You Won't Learn in Business School. And he is really a very successful entrepreneur, angel investor, best-selling author, and video game industry pioneer, graduate of MIT and Stanford. Super smart guy. And he's got a lot to share with us about kind of some of the... uh, the paths you could take when launching a new company or doing a startup. And some of the learning that he's going to share with us is not what you would expect in some of the areas in terms of uh, getting the right personal, etc. for your startup. So really good show today for you on Guys Guys Radio. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, what else is happening? Well, I hope you're having a great summer. We're about midway through, and before you know it, it's going to be fall. And then the question is, is anybody going back to school? Because like, wow, August is going to zip by, and then what do we do? What do we do with going back to school? Well, I've got a seven-year-old. He ain't going back to school. I'm in California. Uh, Fortunately, they've held off, and they said no school uh, in September, and I think it'll probably go. My guess is that there's not going to be uh, full open in-school classes until 2021, because things are just going to, the time elapses very quickly, and it still doesn't seem like we've got a handle on this COVID thing, so I think people are going to be out of school for the protection of the kids and the teachers and the people who work in the schools, too. And we'll just have to see how it goes. You can do remote learning. My son was doing it the last couple of months of this past school year, and it was fine. Now, it's not something you want to do forever, but it's doable and it protects the kids. So hopefully, uh, as things move forward and we can start to open things up, at least the kids will get a jump on their learning um, in September. Uh, Probably most of them will be learning remotely. But I don't know what it's like in your area of the world or in your neighborhood, but I think that's what it's going to be like here. And I know in California, the schools are not going to be open uh, in September 1st. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, I'd love to get into the show because we've got a good one for you today. We've got two very different guests. We've got a voiceover actor and a startup expert. So let's get right at it. Guys Guys Radio, Robert Manny here. (music) 
It's Guy's Guy Radio. As I had mentioned, I have a wonderful different type of guest on here. You might recognize, maybe not his name, but I think you'll recognize the many voices that he's done. His name is Rob Paulson, and he is a legend in Hollywood working on some notable shows like Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. He's got over 2,000 credits to his name. Rob's been a voice actor for nearly three decades, film, video, all other types of animated media. He's uh, won a Daytime Emmy, Peabody, three Annie Awards, and he's host of a podcast, Talking Tunes, actively tours the Comic-Con circuit and performs live musical shows alongside Randy Rogel and other cast members from Animaniacs. He's also the director and voice director for the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Nickelodeon. And he's going to be reprising his roles as Yakko, Pinky, and more in the new version of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, produced by no other than Steven Spielberg for Hulu. Now, not only has he been fortunate enough to have a wonderful career in Hollywood doing voiceovers, but also he's doing something really special for people because he is one of the leaders in the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. And he's been, they, he's been selected as the official spokesperson for 2020. And as we know, a lot of people have cancer and a lot of people have oral head and neck cancer, but not too, people, not too many people know about it, what the uh, symptoms are. Um, if you get a little lump here or there, people are not necessarily sure of what to do uh, uh, when something like that happens in their bodies. And as a boomer, I can tell you, you know, you get a little lump somewhere and you're like, oh, no. And fortunately, most of the time it's a little lumpoma, which is a kind of little fatty deposit or something like that. But other times you get something hard and like you got to take care of that or it's going to take care of you and not in a good way. So. With all that said, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Rob Paulson, I'm so proud and honored that you're here with us today. Well, hello, Robert. (laughs) Thank you very much, as I said a bit earlier, for lowering your standards. And and those of you out there who are fans of Fight Club will say, Robert Paulson, his name is Robert Paulson. Well, that's true. So to that extent, I got to work with... uh, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt because they said my name, but that's as close as it gets. So thank you very much. For, um, thank you very much for uh, having me on. This is a, a great privilege. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Um, let's start right at the beginning then. Um, you, came, you come from Michigan and, uh, you know, typical uh, Midwestern household. They wanted you to get a job and get into business. And you had this passion for going to Hollywood, doing some type of work. Tell us about your journey and what was the inspiration to get you to where you are now? I think the inspiration um, was not unlike what a lot of us go through. I I am incredibly fortunate, Robert, because I knew when I was quite young uh, that I had two passions in my life um, and I wasn't smart enough to understand that neither of them were likely to succeed. I wanted to be a hockey player and I was pretty good until I got to be about 17 and some kid from Winnipeg beat the living daylights out of me and not in a fight. It was a clean hit and I woke up and thought, okay, I'm I've gone as far as I can go as a hockey player. I got no business being out here with these big, strong farm boys. The other thing that I was deeply passionate about was performing, not necessarily voice work. I was normal whack job kid who loved cartoons, and I think I just took it a little further than most kids do. Um, and so I really got into music and theater, and I enrolled in the University of Michigan. I attended for a year. I attended. I was enrolled. I remember coming home uh, after my first year and saying, Mom, Dad, you're wasting your money and 
my time because I want to be in the moving picture business. Uh, you encouraged us to be in theater, and I think you created a monster. So I moved out here in <laughs> 1978, you know, to um, to kind of, you know, uh, uh, follow my dream. Ostensibly do live action. Mid-80s, I got asked to audition for cartoons. I did, the first of which were G.I. Joe and Transformers. I realized that nobody cared what I looked like, and that is a glorifyingly... Uh, a glorious uh, release for an actor to have nobody care what you look like. So I went down that road, and I'm glad I did. So here we are all those years later, and now people still don't care what I look like. And as long as I can do my gig, then people pay me American dollars, and you end up doing that. You smile. That's hilarious. Smile. Hilarious. Now, how did you know that – who was the first voice you did? How did you know you had this gift? And uh, who was the most outrageous person that you like to uh, take on? Oh, thank you. Well, my heroes, not unlike other young actors, Jonathan Winters, Lucille Ball, also the Pythons, the Goons, Peter Sellers. Um, I'm not really much of an impressionist. I'm an actor, and right. uh, far many, far more wonderful impressionists in L.A. Um, but people like Peter Sellers were very instrumental, and Jonathan Winters. I got to work with Mr. Winters probably half a dozen times. Let me tell you something. That was that was mind-blowing. It's understandable why Robin Williams looked at him the same way a lot of us do as, you know, a, a, um, proportionately insane in the context of, of how he made his living. It could not have been easy to live with a guy like that, but those of us who are, who are lucky enough to work with him and, and benefit by his talent were grateful. He's a remarkable talent. Where, where do you think his kind of gift came from and how did how did it work? Because he seemed to like, was he creating on the spot? Was he very studied or what? Was it spontaneous? All of the above. Studied, I think, is relative. Same with Robin Williams. I don't think you can teach that. Um, in my experience, um, I, I'm a good improviser. Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams are unique, superhuman, different. Um and I believe, again, sadly, part of what makes us fall in love with those talents is their difficulties in normal life. Jonathan Winters was very forthcoming about, uh, not only to me, but to people in general, about his issues with, you know, mental disturbances. And a number of times his wife would get a phone call, you know, your, your husband's at Ralph's at three o'clock in the morning talking to the frozen turkeys. Right. And and, and so, yeah, it's a fine line that we all kind of walk. I don't need chemicals to keep me in line, uh, but the opportunity to work with a person like that and to see just how utterly free and fearless they are in their creative endeavor, and Robin was exactly the same way. Sadly, we also know that part of Robin's genius may have been what ultimately took his life um, because their, their bar is so high, Robert, that... I would imagine like anyone, when you really are Picasso and you break your hand and you're no longer able to do it, it's your reason for living. Right. Um, and so that's what I can only imagine. But again, those of us who are lucky enough to work with them and watch their genius at work um, ultimately will be brought crazy amounts of joy forever. It's a remarkable thing to be part of. Is there, Rob, a uh, secret kind of club, if you will, amongst the voice people with the voice gift like you have? And and do they hang out together and are they welcoming to new members? It's, from what I read in Voice Lessons, your memoir, uh, people were pretty nice to you and pretty, pretty oh. cool about it. Uh, yes, it's not a secret club. It is a very <laughs> well club. Um, everybody 
knows what a great gig it is. And now, how many celebrities do you talk to that are cartoons? Tom Hanks, um, everybody. You know, and I work with celebrity actors often now because they all love doing cartoons. And um, the truth is, when I get people in their 30s and 30s, 35, 40, virtually all of them know Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Jimmy Neutron, Ninja Turtles. And so they get a real kick out of it. Um, but it's a lovely group of people. Uh, the actors whom you already mentioned, Frank Welker, uh, whom you guys would probably know as the voice of, uh, um, oh God, the uh, Megatron on Transformers and zillions of others. Uh, they're the nicest, most gifted, as Billy West says, who you guys know as Fry from Futurama, utterly fearless. It's all about playing. It's all about throwing everything against the wall. And the new actors that are coming to town, I'm smart enough to know, Robert, what I'm not smart at. And I don't know everything. And I love it when new folks come along and teach me new chops. Um, it is a definite mutual admiration society of which I'm profoundly proud to be a part of. Let's talk about how you kind of made the jump into to voiceovers, because you were on, uh, you did some uh, advertisements for uh, Jack in a Box. That's how you kind of got your start. And then you worked with ad agencies and my background is in advertising. And I've been oh. on a lot of shoots and I've been in the booth and listened to the voiceovers and we make you do it over and over and over again. And you end up using take one, as you mentioned. But how did you make that leap from uh, Jack in a Box gig to getting your first voiceover? Thank you so much for, for mentioning that. You're right. Eight, take 47. You know what? Let's go with number one. Um, well, I think, as I mentioned in the book, uh, I came out here ostensibly to do live action. First gigs I got were Jack in the Box commercials, and I did, I think, four or five of them as a result of a campaign. And part of the campaign was radio. Um, so that's how I went from being a SAG member. In those days, SAG and AFTER were different unions. So once I was in SAG doing on-camera stuff, I joined AFTER doing radio stuff. And um, I had done local radio commercials back in Flint, where I grew up in, in Michigan. Uh, so it was not a big stretch, but again, the um, the opportunity to do animation came probably, I don't know, seven or eight years later. So in the meantime, I did another 20 on-camera commercials probably for Levi's, Chevy, Toyota, um, ultimately Kentucky Fried Chicken, whatever, everything. Um, but as you find out pretty quickly, there are a million average-looking kids in Hollywood, right. all in your age group. And you know, if you've been in the advertising business, how many casting sessions have you been on? You bring two nice kids in who could be boyfriend and girlfriend, and they could all fit every one of each hundred girls and each hundred boys. So it's a toss up. Um, and I was doing that, a lot of episodic television, uh, St. Elsewhere, Hill Street, MacGyver, that type of stuff. And um, just doing my gig, a lot of music. I was a singer before anything. And then I experienced that axiom that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Um, after doing both on-camera and uh, voice work, I auditioned for a show called Animaniacs, which was a Steven Spielberg production that was all new characters with lots of music. So little did I know when I was 12 or 13 and learning to sing in character, because I'd heard one of the Monty Python folks do it, that all of that practice, I put in my 10,000 hours, and Animaniacs was my pitch. And so, I swung for it. 
So, Rob, uh, I'm not super familiar with, I know the name Animaniacs, but oh, yeah. I think I'm, I aged out of it a little bit. But tell us about the, your characters that you uh, worked on, created, and then give us a little sample. I'm sure, our audio, I'm sure our listeners know. Well, thank you very much. There was a lead character. His name is Yakko Warner. And watch what happens, folks. Look at that gentleman's face. Look at this handsome man's face. All I have to, all I have to do is start talking like Pinky. Nerve. And Robert can't help it. Isn't that the most glorious aspect of this work? Um, but yes, Animaniacs was a like a variety show, a cartoon variety show, having many characters, three of which yours truly auditioned for and ultimately one, uh, Yakko, the main Animaniac character. Um, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot were two brothers and a sister who live in the water tower. Um, there's another character called Pinky, the stupid half of Pinky and the Brain. Um, the smarter half, voiced by my genius friend Maurice Lamarche. And then I did another character whom I directly stole from uh, Peter Sellers from Dr. Strangelove, who is a studio psychiatrist, and his name is Dr. Scratch and Sniff. So... All these years later, Mr. Spielberg and Tom Ruger and the folks who created that show, uh, we did 199 episodes. And all these years later, we have a transgenerational following that ultimately coaxed the king of Hollywood, Mr. Spielberg, again at whatever 70 plus years old to say, hey, you guys, you think, you think we should do this again? Robert, this is a remarkable opportunity if you think about it in show business, to be on a show where the original actors did it originally 20, a quarter century ago. And then we bring it back with all these new platforms, brand new episodes with Mr. Spielberg so that fans will be able to watch their favorite episode from 25 years ago and then watch a brand new episode with their kids. It's astonishing part of Fabulous. it. Yes. So let's touch on one more show and then I wanna to move to uh, your work with uh, the head and neck cancer. Right. Um, Okay, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. When I was a uh, an account guy in advertising, one of the projects, one of the brands, uh, accounts I worked on was Chef Boyardee. And we oh. did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pasta. Yes, yes. And yes, we did the, yes. micro, the microwave version also. Tell us about that experience and give us a little uh, Donatello or Raphael or whoever you, who you want to do. Great, well, as you referenced, you're looking at 50% of the Ninja Turtles and one old guy from the <laughs> Uh, when Ninja Turtles rolled around, I was aware that it was like an underground comic book, but it was a, a typical audition like any other. Had a few callbacks. It was narrowed down to four different actors. We mixed and matched. And truly, it was the first time that I've ever been involved in something from the ground up that became inarguably iconic. Um, we're now, I think, on the sixth animated iteration of that franchise. Six billion dollars in merchandise. Um Countless artists who have been inspired follow their passion as a result of Turtles. I don't know how many movies. Um, and then, again, referencing how freeing it is to be a voice guy, 25 years later after the original show, a bunch of kids who grew up on that were casting a 2012 iteration at Nickelodeon, and they hired me to be Donatello. So I got to be another turtle, and it is amazing to be part of that. But the bottom line truly is the extent to which these characters connect with people on a deep level. Nowadays, I meet people who are in their 30s, late 30s, who will come up to me at a convention and almost in tears say, Mr. Paulson, I was in the uh, foster care system from the time I was, you know, six months old to the time I was 17. Went to five different homes, 
and it was really rough. But as long as there was a TV, I could connect with Ninja Turtles. And I am here with my family now. I'm fine. These are my kids, and every damn one of us is wearing a Ninja Turtle t-shirt because you will never know. And that happens over and over again. That is the magic of these characters. So Raphael was kind of a, Shredder, you tin-faced geek, get back here, taste cold turtle geek. And Donatello was kind of a nerd and creative and was in love with April O'Neil with an unrequited, um, you know, uh, interspecies romance. But it all is boiled down to its most profound part, which is the utter joy and constant um, comfort that these characters bring to people, irrespective of how old they get. As they say, the kid and everybody. It's it's nothing Fantastic. short of stuff, Robert, really. Good, good for you. Good for you. Okay. Guys, guys, radio, Robert Manny here. I've got special guest actor Rob Paulson. Now we want to talk about... Uh, giving a voice to oral head and neck cancer awareness because it's so important. You know, there's so much cancer out there, and uh, a lot of it is uh, it's all a lot of it is based on catching it early. Um, yeah. I, I could get into a little story with myself, but I, we're pressed for time. I want to hear quickly what happened to you and uh, how you got through that because you sound wonderful now, and I, I can imagine the uh, stress and anxiety you must have felt is when you found you had something on your neck. And yeah. you're a voice actor. So tell us the story and how you are doing the work you're doing now for the uh, Oral Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. Thank you. Um, well, you said it earlier. You feel a little something on your head or your neck or wherever. It's usually nothing. In my case, I had a lump on the left side of my neck. After a little bit of research, it could have been cancer. I thought maybe if it was, it was lymphoma or it could have been nothing. I chose nothing. Um, I went to my yearly checkup about six months after I discovered the lump. Five seconds, Robert, my internist said, nope, not good. It's rock hard. It's not soft like, a, mm -hmm. like an infection. Rock hard, not good. And it turned out to be stage three throat cancer because this, this was the area to which the cancer had already spread from a tumor that was unseeable, unfeelable at the base of my tongue. Um, and as you said, sad, sadly, uh, cancer is quite ubiquitous. Head and neck cancers and oral cancers are becoming bigger and bigger and, and more prolific, sadly. The good news is they are very treatable. Um, and I am now, gratefully, the spokesman for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. Uh, all of the information that's um, germane to this is, is found at headandneck.org. Um, uh, within probably two weeks, I was biopsied, sussed out. And my treatment began. In my case, it was uh, seven weeks of daily radiation with eight concurrent chemo treatments, no surgery. Uh, my doctors were very clear up front. We're virtually sure we can cure you. This is not remission. Cure, their word. Um, however, before we do, we almost have to kill you. And it was, I, I had no problem with them responding that way to me, Robert, because I was 59 years old. As you know, nobody gets out of here without a couple of dings. And we mentioned before Ninja Turtles and the joy that these characters bring to people. I had had, through my career, countless children and their parents, and not just me, all of us who did do this gig, hundreds of them, many of whom didn't make it. And their parents, once they found out that I was going through this, sent me pictures, videos uh, of their children speaking to whatever character before they passed away and said, Mr. Paulson, we just want you to know 
that were with you, and you will never know how important it was for Pinky to call my little girl. Okay. And so I had all that joy right inside my own melon. And I got to tell you, that's what helped me get through it. Um, the treatment is arduous, but it is very effective, and it works. And I am here to tell you that I can still do my gig, and I'm back in the studio mm-hmm. doing it at a very high level. Also, one last thing. As a result of this glorious career, which you've been kind enough to let me mention, um, I didn't have a moment at which I thought, oh, my God. Because, look, Robert, as you and I are having this conversation now, you've had, you mentioned your own scare. Um, At this very moment, someone's getting a phone call, for God's sake, about their five-year-old, about their child, right, about their wife or their own cancer and their 30-year-old father of four. So... I didn't get that. I had already had a wonderful career. And these characters, more importantly, the children and their parents, who were truly aware of the power of joy and empathy and humor, reminded me what I had living in my own cabeza. And that's what got me through. One thing I think we should mention is the there's a connection purportedly between HPV and now <laughs> oral cancer. And I, I don't I don't think many uh, people are aware of that. Is there what should they know real quick what should they know and what should they be looking out for because one of the things is hpv uh, like so many people have it and there's all right. these different types and some of it is like whatever because so many people have it and others are more dangerous than other numbers i think so exactly. tell us about the importance of that how you can you know if somebody has hpv and they're in their, in their 20s or something that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get this type of cancer but maybe they should be looking out for some certain things or, or symptoms or what tell us about that rob precisely thank you hpv stands for human papillomavirus until a few years ago hpv in terms of cancers was preeminently uh, a cause in uh, cervical cancers in young women. Gardasil, uh, which was a vaccine to inoculate young ladies against cervical cancer that was caused by HPV, um, is now recommended for young men as well, young boys, because head and neck cancers in men my age, um, sort of late 40s, 60s, uh, has become way bigger, I'm sorry, has surpassed cervical cancer in terms of its uh, ubiquity. Um, But again, it's very treatable. Um, And so we're talking about a sore in your mouth, a lump in your neck, tonsil, difficulty swallowing, pain, unusual bleeding, the usual circumstances that you find in other parts of your body. But um, the other uh, aspect of this is that there are other people far more famous than I who have held this position. You can read their stories too. Jim Kelly, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, God bless him, is right. much more heroic, even after five Super Bowl appearances, in his being a, a former spokesperson for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. Michael Douglas, same thing. So the, uh, uh, the numbers of this head and neck cancer are growing, but so is the ability to treat it. And so uh, please check out the headandneck.org for that information about um, um, treatments and uh, um, interventional treatments for HPV, human papilloma, a sexually, a sexually transmitted virus, which everybody after about 20 is exposed to, virtually everyone. Whether or not it manifests itself in terms of actual cancer right. is not necessarily the truth, or rather it's not necessarily 100%. 
my doctors told me and others, you may have had this uh, uh, raise its head in your body, as it were, a dozen times around your li- across your life. Here's one time when it took hold. Now your, uh, um, your whatever, your, your system has not been able to combat it. It's gotten a hold, and we can take care of it. We also now, as I mentioned, have um, opportunities for vaccinations to prevent it from ever getting a hold of you. But there's so much information about HPV-related cancers online, and especially with Head and Neck at headandneck.org. And I really appreciate you giving a chance to talk about it. My pleasure. And it's important, particularly for men, um, because the name of the show is Guys Guys Radio with Robert Manny. But Rob Paulson, you're a wonderful guest. Could you take us out with a little bit of a Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius or... Uh, you did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you did yeah. Pinky, you did Animaniac, so let's a, a little Jimmy Neutron. All right, well, I did a character whose name is Carl Weezer. <laughs> Look, you probably don't even know, and he's smiling again. Isn't that, I'm a freaking magician. I can make Robert Manny smile. I'm so lucky. But it's, it, honest to God, I am the luckiest, uh, with all due respect to Lou Gehrig, I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And um, as I always say at the end of my podcast, and I'm living proof that, man, Robert, laughter is the best medicine. And the cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. So thanks, folks, and stay healthy. And thanks for being on Guys Guys Radio. Rob Paulson, you are a guy's guy. Thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio. We're going to talk about startup myths and models with Rizwan Verk. What you won't learn in business school. And I love this topic. And Riz has written a fantastic book on it. And we're going to talk about kind of like what you want to do, what you know, what you want to hear about startups before embarking on that path, because you can go in a lot of different directions. And I've been in three and three or four and everyone is every situation is different. Yet there's certain rules of engagement and certain things you really have to know if you want to if you want to succeed. So let me tell you a little bit about our special guest, Riz Verk. He is a graduate of MIT and Stanford. So he's a smart dude, a successful entrepreneur, angel investor, best-selling author and video game industry pioneer. His video games have included Tapfish, which has been downloaded over 50 million times. Uh, Startup Myths and Models, the book we're going to discuss, debunks widespread misconceptions about how the world of startups and offers hard-earned advice for every step of the journey. Uh, Riz combines lessons learned the hard way during his 25 years of founding, investing in, and advising startups. So I can't wait to introduce Riz Verk. Come on to Guys Guys Radio. Hi, thanks for having me on today. Let's get started right at the beginning. What would be your definition of a startup, Riz? Uh, Well, so startup really could be any type of business uh, that you're in the very early stages of, right? So it could be your idea, uh, could be a tech startup, like everybody's doing mobile apps these days, right? Uh, That's where Mm -hmm. 
you know, my big win was Tap Fish, which you mentioned, which was in the early days of the iTunes App Store, you know, where you can have free apps and then you can use in-app purchases, et cetera. Or it could be a service business that you're doing uh, for, you know, big companies. You're providing them with a service. So whatever type of business calls to you, I, I would say, is a startup. You know, I tend to be in between MIT and Silicon Valley in the world of tech startups, but really any business that you, you begin is a startup. What was your inspiration initially to enter the startup world from your background and you said, uh, okay, because you could have made a lot of money tech companies working there but you said i want to do the startup thing what was your inspiration well you know when i was a kid you know my dad used to like show me articles of uh you know steve jobs back in the mm -hmm. early 80s when i was playing atari and we got our apple ii computer and i started to create like tic-tac-toe games <laughs> and things like that and so you know i always like to create things and so you know my motivation was very much to be able to go out and create a product or an idea that I had and, and bring it to fruition. And, you know, different entrepreneurs, I think, have different motivations, right? Some are in it for the money, whether it's short-term, long-term. Some are in it because they really want to be independent. They're fed up with working for a really big company. A lot of successful startups that I've seen, uh, you know, they, they come up, the entrepreneur comes up with an idea, tells it to his boss. Their company says, no, that's not a big enough market. We don't want to pursue it. And, and the guy or gal goes off and starts it on their own, and that can lead to a successful startup as well. So I've seen all kinds of different motivations for why, why someone might want to go and, and do their own thing. Got it. Um, what Just uh, on a macro level, what are the core steps that somebody has to uh, embark on uh, when entering a startup? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the most important step is to really define your product or your service uh, and the second step is to really understand your market. Uh, you know, when I did my very first startup, I was actually working for a big company called Lotus, uh, which is now mm -hmm. became part of IBM, right? And so what, what, what we found was that companies were investing in Microsoft products and in IBM products, but they couldn't link the two together. And so my first idea was to create something that linked these two kind of big giants together, if you will. And so I understood a little bit about the market from having been, you know, uh, an employee or contractor at, at Lotus at the time. And so, you know, I think understanding the market is, is as important as figuring out what product you might start off with, because the product may not be, you know, that first product may not be the one that makes the company in the end. How about t timing? Is, uh, do you have to have the stars aligned if you have a good idea and uh, you know your competitive, you know your competitive set, and you know your unique selling point? Or does that matter, or is it just one of many factors? Well, it's one of many factors. It's an important factor. I mean, one of the myths in the book, and the reason I call them myths is is not that they're not true. It's that they're true sometimes and not other times. So you really have to learn to apply, you know, these rules of thumb rather than just uh, applying them blindly. You have to learn to apply them intelligently. And so one of the myths is you have to be first to market, right? And so when you look at it, there's plenty of companies that were not first to market, that became mo the most successful ones out there. I mentioned Lotus, which had a product called 123, which was the most successful spreadsheet back in the day, but it wasn't the first one. There was one called VisiCalc before that. More recently, you've got Facebook, which was not the first social network, right? But they came along at the right time. And so timing is actually very important. I mean, I've met plenty of people who started YouTube before YouTube, right? <laughs> and, right. you know, they're not billionaires today, right? Why? Because the timing was off. When I did Tap Fish, 
the mobile game market was relatively new. There was maybe 10,000 apps in the App Store. Today, there's over a million. So it's much harder to build a mobile game today. Today, you have leaders like uh, Fortnite and Pokemon Go and, and many others that are billion dollar plus mobile games. But when we did it, you know, we were able to build a game for $25,000 and we spent $25,000 on marketing. And that was enough to get us to the top of the App Store. Today, you could spend $25 million in marketing a mobile game uh, and, and in building it. And so you have to look at the timing, not just of uh, the competitors, but the market as a whole. And then you have to look at your personal timing, which is also important, right? I mean, if you just got a mortgage, that may not be the best time for you to be quitting your job and starting a company. So the personal timing has to match the timing of the market, I think. that That's important okay. point. I always uh, have believed, Riz, that um, chaos creates opportunities. And I know we're in a time of big chaos, but there's a lot of money sloshing around out there. The fact that the government, it seems like they can print what they want, seems to indicate to me that there's money available to fund startups. What's your thought about right now with all the issues we have out there? Is it a good time if you got a good idea to launch a new company? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, it sounds like uh, what that guy would say on Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> Where, uh, <laughs> what did he say, chaos is a ladder or something like that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I found that you know, when there's an economic downturn, it's usually not a bad time to start a company, usually within a year or two of, of the initial downturn. I mean, you may not want to start one this instant, but certainly within the next 12 months, I think it's a great time because people are shifting their priorities, right? I mean, things like working remotely are, are becoming more important. A couple of years ago, you know, the, one of the hot companies was WeWork, right, which spent billions of dollars on real yep. estate. Well, guess what? A lot of companies are discovering now that you don't have to go to the office to be productive. And so that entire market is shifting, right? So, uh, so yeah, I think there will be great opportunities that are created. Uh, and, you know, a lot of great companies came out uh, after the last recession. And even after, after 2001, I mean, Google became really popular. Right around that time, LinkedIn came out right after that uh, 2001 recession. So it's a good time to be thinking about uh, breaking out on your own. And also, you know, with layoffs and other things going on, it's actually not a bad time to, to take a shot at doing something new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And investors okay. recognize this. So there, there are investors looking to invest in startups. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Our special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Rizwan Verk. The name of his book is Startup Myths and Models, What You Won't Learn in Business School. Um, so what are the biggest misconceptions that uh, people launching a startup have and the mistakes that they make as a result of those misconceptions? Sure. Well, one of the biggest ones uh, is this idea that you have to build a billion-dollar company. And you have to have a huge multi-billion dollar market, right? I don't know if you remember in that movie, The Social Network, uh, you know, Justin uh, Timberlake was playing, uh, you know, one of uh, Mark Zuckerberg's mentors, right. uh, Sean Parker. And he goes, you know, one million isn't cool. One billion is cool, right? And so everybody's <laughs> focused on a really big market. The problem is that's not how these startups get so to be true. successful, right? You have to focus on a small market. So I tell people, focus on a very small market that's expanding. So when Facebook started, they were just on the Harvard campus, right? It was just for college students. And then it went to uh, another college and then another college, and it didn't get to become a, a social network for everybody until a couple of years later. When Microsoft started, they were just building the basic 
programming language. Like everyone was trying to make a PC back in those days. Apple and there were all these other guys, Altair. They were trying to make PCs, but nobody was making languages. So they found a small niche, which was the programming language, and that they used that to get started. And then that led to their big success down the road. Um, so, you know, trying to go after the biggest market is not necessarily the best thing to do. You have to go for a small market, but you have to find one that's expanding, right? You don't want to go for something that's contracting. So <laughs> I don't know if you remember the South Park episode where the guy bought one of the last blockbuster videos, right? Uh, right. Stores, right? <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> you want to find a market that's small but expanding where you can dominate. And the reason you want to go after a small market is because the big guys aren't going to waste their time on it. And that's what creates an opportunity for a startup. And if it's growing, as that market grows, you'll end up creating perhaps the next billion-dollar company, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how it's done. I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine at MIT was at, in Japan one summer, and he met this kid from Stanford named Jerry, and he showed him this little directory of these things called websites. It was just like a list of like, I don't know, 100 websites. And I remember my friend thought, that's stupid. What a small market. Well, it turns out that guy was Jerry Yang, the founder of Yahoo!, and a couple of years later, the World Wide Web, you know, became really big. But the point was that, you know, he was intrigued by this new technology. So find something you're intrigued with, something that's a small market where you can dominate, but that you think is going to grow in the future. Those, so that's one of the biggest myths that, that okay. I tell. How about um, raising money? Um, I think a lot of times uh, money, money obviously is an issue, but I, I have found through my experience, a lot of times these investors, they get some money and then they throw big dinner parties and they're celebrating and they're buying the wrong companies and wrong resources. And then the money goes away very quickly. How, how, what's a good way, some kind of rules of engagement, if you will, if you're a potential startup uh, investor, if you will, uh, in terms of managing money, knowing how much to ask, knowing how to manage that money, uh, having the right uh, conversation with your angel investors so you're not asking for too little, which I think a lot of folks do, but you're not asking for too much. And sometimes I think it's better to actually ask for a little bit too much than too less. Well, you know, so this is what I call a set of dueling myths. And, and so you hear this advice tossed around on both sides of the equation, one of which is raise as little money as possible, right? Why? Because you'll give up the least amount of the company to investors and you'll retain control. The other side is raise as much money as possible. Why? Well, because it turns out that a startup is like an adventure and adventures go through many twists and turns, right? Whether it's Raiders of the Lost Ark or Lord of the Rings, you always have these things you didn't expect along the way. And so having more money lets you have a longer runway. Now, the truth is somewhere in the middle. The problem with raising too much money is one, you give up too much of the company, but more than that, it, it, it can hide a lot of problems with the company. So if you have a product that nobody wants, but you've got enough money in the bank for the next couple of years, you'll go out and spend money and you'll spend as if you're going to be successful. The problem is nobody wants the product. And you think, well, in Q4, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this in the corporate <laughs> world. We'll make it up in Q4, right? That's always what, <laughs> what, what people say. But if you don't have enough money, what happens is you have to prioritize and you have to figure out, okay, is this something that somebody really wants and they're willing to pay for? And so the truth is somewhere in the middle in that you, you want to raise enough money to get you going on your path, but you don't want to raise too much so that it hides your problems or that you have to give up too much of the company. Got it. Building a team, uh, hiring and firing and specialists versus generalists, uh, it's so important. A lot of times folks get into the startup uh, build out 
and they hire specific people who are technically proficient in certain areas, but are not necessarily a good fit personality-wise with the rest of the team. What's your perspective on uh, building a team? Uh, yeah, you know, this really important part of the of the startup journey, just like on any adventure, right? Uh, the, the people that you have with you uh, are going to determine the success or failure of, of your yep. startup. And so, you know, starting off with your co-founders, right? So one, one question I get asked a lot, is it a good idea to start a company with my friends? Right. And the answer is it depends a little bit. So I remember a couple of years ago, I had invested in a company in L.A. and these two guys had been friends and I went down there and they weren't talking to each other. I was going, what the heck's going on here? You know, the company right. ended up failing. It was a Bitcoin uh, uh, marketplace in the early days back in 2013, 14. Uh, and I said, weren't you guys friends before you started the company? And it looked like they weren't friends anymore. They were. But the thing was, they had never actually worked together before. And so it's not whether you should or you shouldn't start it with a friend. I started my first company with my MIT roommate and my brother, and we've worked together many times. The trick is, have you worked with that person before, and do you know how they act under pressure? So like, you know, Bill Hewlett uh, and David Packard, uh, Hewlett and Packard, the original Silicon Valley company, they uh, basically worked together in, in, in their garage for a year before they formally launched the company. So you had an idea of how the other person will react uh, when you don't have any money or there's a stressful situation, or even if you just worked together at a company before, at least you know you've worked on a project together. So, so that's one thing that I would advise is, is, is start a company with somebody that you've worked with before. The, the second thing I'd advise is, is touches on what you said, which is the myth is hire the most experienced people you can find. Seems like good advice. Turns out it's bad advice for a startup. And the reason why is when, when people are really experienced, that's all they know how to do. But in an early stage startup, you need people that are more generalists or more uh, jack of all trades. Like if, if you know, your customer is upset one day, you, this person needs to deal with them. Or if there's a new technology for the website that needs to be put up, you need to go learn it. And so you can't have people that are, are kind of stuck in their ways. You need people that can be flexible. And so I call that cultural fit for a startup. And so there's something in the book called the four quadrants of hiring. And you, know, you have two axes, one of which is experience and one of which is cultural fit. Now, obviously, two axes will make four quadrants. And so the upper right is high cultural fit, high experience. That's good, you want that person. The lower left is low cultural fit, low experience. Okay, you probably don't want that person. The real trick is the other two. And turns out, you can hire somebody who does not have a lot of experience, but has a good cultural fit, is willing to learn things, be flexible, work hard. Those usually end up being the best hires, as opposed to somebody that's really experienced, but they cannot be flexible, and that can kill your startup. So that's some advice in thinking about uh, it. You know what? I agree with you a thousand percent having experienced both of those. Uh, it's much better with uh, generalists who can walk and chew gum and handle consumer uh, customer issues and just, you know, it, it's like if you're on a lifeboat, you want people, everybody knows how to row, but you need people with a cool head. How do you deal with the chaos, the emergencies and everything? It's, 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 it's not just about technical proficiency. It's about how do you work as a team and, uh, how do you all row in the same direction? Um, any last tips about a start, uh, getting into a startup and then also where they can find out more about you and where they can get your book? Uh, sure. So, you know, when I did my first startup, I thought 
that success meant you know going up and to the right all the time, right? But I, I learned that really there's lots of twists and turns, and so it's all about following the clues, just like in an Indiana Jones adventure, right? He doesn't just get the treasure with an axe at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> he has to go through different challenges and obstacles, and so I'd encourage people to view their own startup experience as an adventure and follow the clues. Uh, they can go to my website, which is called zenentrepreneur.com, uh, or follow me on Twitter at, at Riz Stanford. And the book is available on Amazon and pretty much everywhere where you buy books. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Riz, for being on Guys Guys Radio. You're a guys guy. Keep at it. Thanks for having me on. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, two very interesting discussions with two very different guests, both who are Guys Guys, by the way, on Guys Guys Radio. First, we had Rob Paulson, the esteemed voiceover actor of some of our animated favorites, everything from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jimmy Neutron, Pinky and the Brain, and Animaniacs, and he is just wonderful and so much fun to talk to, Rob Paulson. The other thing he does that's so wonderful and something that we're, we learned about today is He's given his time to really help out the Oral Neck and Head Cancer Awareness Alliance. Uh, it's called actually the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, and he's an official spokesperson for 2020. And just putting the word out there that, hey, guys, be careful. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to the area around your head and neck because there's some insidious cancers that can pop up when you least expect it. But, Rob... He followed his diagnosis, and he bounced back. He got through it. So more and more, I think, we're finding that uh, cancer is not a death sentence, that you can bounce back, and you, you can get better. You can get well. And then you have to ask yourself, I think, okay, what is it in my physical and energetic environment that's allowing something like this to grow in my system, and what changes do I need to make to kind of keep myself clean? So anyhow, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying... Something that to keep in mind because I went through this about six years ago and it was a big surprise to me and I am 100% healthy and everything is full steam ahead so you can do it. So our other guest was Riz Verk and he is a real expert on startups having worked with so many of them and I think the biggest takeaway I got from our discussion is that in a startup uh, it's really more about chemistry than it's about specialization where when you're building your team, you want some generalists there who can wear different hats because, you know what, things happen along the way with any new business. And if you're in a startup, and I've been in a number of them, you've got to be, uh, you got to be able to juggle, uh, spin the plates, you got to be able to juggle, you got to be able to do a, a lot of different things and play a lot of different roles and positions on the team. So we picked that up as one of many learnings from Riz Verk and his book about startups. So great show today on Guys Guys Radio. I'm so thrilled that you're here with me. Um, and again, we're here every week on KCAA Wednesday evening 
in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The podcast drops worldwide every Thursday. And also, there's a replay of our KCAA show every Sunday at 6 p.m. Not only that, uh, the pod is worldwide, so it's everywhere you uh, consume your podcasts online. And also, we have a new YouTube channel. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, Robert Manny, you'll see Guys Guys TV, where we're posting now a majority of our shows with KCAA on that uh, website. So check me out on YouTube. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, etc. My website uh, is robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com. It's really the source material for everything Guys Guy that includes about 350 articles about everything having to do with life, love, and the pursuit of happiness through my Guys Guys lens, if you will. And it also features three free chapters from my novel, which started the whole movement, called The Guys Guys Guide to Love. And yes, it is a novel about two guys in advertising, and they compete for love and sex and power and money. And they're running around New York, and it's uh, been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City by Dan Wakefield, an iconic 20th century author, and was one of the greatest compliments uh, my book has ever received. And I think you'll have fun with it. Everybody who I know who's read the book has said they really had a lot of fun and was a surprise because it's very fast-moving yet it's about 350 pages. So you get into the story, you get into the lives of the characters and into the conflicts and into things like loyalty and redemption and backstabbing and love and cheating and making up and breaking up and all that kinds of stuff. Everything that has to do with relationships and also with an undercurrent of business throughout the book. So the Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. And we'll be back here next Wednesday on KCAA, and I thank you so much for being with me on my journey through Guy's Guy, and I hope you're really getting information out there that is informing you and inspiring you and empowering you and helping you to think, to feel, and to act. Guy's Guy's Radio, we're here from you. I'll see you next week, and as I always like to say, Guy's Guys, finish first. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men better world.